This is the Be On Mission podcast with Ben Greenbaum and Mark Elsesser. This year we're exploring the book of Acts and the rest of the New Testament in what we're calling a chronogeobiological flow. That is, we're following the chronology of the book of Acts and then veering off to the places and people and topics addressed in Acts. And now we're to the place where the in the book of Acts they've been to the city of Philippi. So let's stop and look at the people of Philippi. That is the book written to the Philippians. Today, I have a special guest with me. Ben is not with me today, but instead, he's been replaced. I'm going to say we've upped the ante, folks. And I have my sister-in-law, Martha Frizzlanger. Martha, welcome. Thank you. It's, I'm so excited to be here. It's really great to have you here. You'll, you'll, If you follow along with the rest of this study that we've been doing this year, as well as last year, Life of Jesus was last year, the Be On Mission with the rest of the New Testament is this year. Martha is the poetry writer for all of our daily devotional readings and and all those things. So um, thank you for your contribution on that. You're, how long have you been doing poetry? Well, about 11 years ago, uh, in prayer, the Lord told me that I was supposed to write a poem for every chapter of the Bible. So I started about 11 years ago, and it has just been a wonderful spiritual discipline for me as well as a delight because I feel that many times I'm not even writing the poetry that um, I go back and read it and I think, where did that come from? So it really feels like um, a time when I'm just in the spirit and uh, in God's word and meditating on God's word and able to bring up images from not only my life and God's word, but um, especially, you know, other stories in scripture that uh, come to mind as I'm reading different pieces of scripture. That's really amazing. You know, a lot of times, uh, Martha, when we're at home doing that, and Lisa and Abraham and I are at home doing our, our nightly devotions and reading through the scripture, and then I, we read the devotions that I've written, and then we come to the poem. It's like, oh, that just nailed it. So you, God has really used you for that in your own life, and then thank you for contributing to these projects that we've been involved here uh, with as well at, at our church. So we're grateful. Martha is not only a, a poem writer, she's also a pastor and recently retired. Yeah, man. Being a, pa- a pastor in the Presbyterian Church. So how uh, how great is that? Not only your retirement, but your years of service. How, how long were you a pastor? I was a pastor for 35 years. Uh, the last church I was in, I served for 22 years. Absolutely a joy. Absolutely. Um, One of the things my dad told me as he was uh, ordaining me in um, the church, he said, anybody who doesn't like ministry doesn't really understand what's going on. You get to be a part of people's best times and their hardest times, and you get to see Jesus Christ ministering to them in all sorts of ways. It's just, it's like, it's like the best life you could ever have. Yeah, we often see people on their first day of life and their last day of life. Exactly. And kind of all the highs and lows in between, right? Mm-hmm. Not only is Martha all of that, she's also my sister-in-law. My wife, Lisa, and Martha are sisters. So it was years ago. Lisa and I are celebrating our 40th anniversary this year. So it was a little longer ago than that that she, she drug her boyfriend home to the family farm, and I met you for the first time. It was either there or in Evansville where they were living. I don't remember. And I remember 
how you welcomed me into the family. And even since all those years since then, uh, you've remained a dear sister to me in more ways than one. So I really appreciate you taking time to to do this podcast with us. And we're going to cover this topic you've kind of hinted at already, and that's finding great joy. Because the book of Philippians is, if it's anything, it's a it's a letter that reminds us that we have joy in Christ. So we're going to launch right into that. Now, let me set the backdrop for it just a little bit. Philippi is a city. It, it, was, a, it was a leading city, the Bible says, a, a Roman colony in part of the Roman Empire in what is now Greece. It was in that time the district of Macedonia. And Philippi was not only an important city, but it was a it was a place where really action would happen. Some people would kind of say it was the Rome of Greece. It was a lot of activity was taking place there. And you see the story in Acts chapter 16 when Paul first went there on his second missionary journey, somewhere probably in the early 50s is when he got to there, 50 AD or something like that. And he right away meets somebody who is a businesswoman and leads her to Christ, and her whole household gets baptized. And then after that, he meets someone else who is the opposite of that, and it's a person who's trying to make is making money for her owners. She's a slave and a, and a fortune teller and a soothsayer and all of that. And because they lead that person out of that lifestyle, they get thrown in the slammer, Paul and Silas do. And what do they do while they're in jail? They lead the jailer to Christ. And, and so he and his whole household get baptized. So it was the establishment of the first church in the continent of Europe, in Philippi. It's an important city. And now he writes a letter to them about a decade later, I think it is, Martha, about a decade later, uh, most scholars think it's around the year 61 AD. And by this time, Paul's not in prison in Philippi, where he, he was just for a night, but he's in prison in Rome. And he knows that in Rome, it's, uh, it's more of a final deal. It, this may not have been his final imprisonment in Rome, but it was a, a bigger deal. And so he's, he's writing this letter from a prison to people that he loved dearly. And I, I, Martha, I just think it's super interesting that he's writing from a prison and his theme is joy. Isn't that great? Isn't that great? In fact, uh, in the book of Philippians, um, the word that comes that we have the word joy from is hara and it's used 19 times it's used the most in this book of the bible than any other book of the bible and it really points to how joy is cultivated within us um, because it is not only translated joy but it is translated grace and also it is the root word of the word thanksgiving so when you think about this the way we have joy is to experience and to remember and to uh, lean into the grace of God through Christ and to be thankful in all of our lives, no matter what our circumstances. But don't we often think that, that joy is equated with happiness? Oh, no. And we think that happiness comes from things working out in our lives, everything being really hunky-dory. And if we have that, then we're happy. But you're talking about something different. This is a deep, deep abiding trust. In fact, in First Peter, um, which we've already read, chapter 2, um, 
we're giving a sort of heads up here. Um, it has a hymn of about Jesus, uh, about his suffering and about his example. Um, this is in chapter two, verses 21 to 24. And the verse that pops out to me is uh, the last part of 23. Listen to this. It says, Jesus continued entrusting himself to him, his father, who judges justly. We have joy because the mature Christian uh, entrusts themselves to God's peace, God's hope, God's promises, uh, being a part of Christ. Um, it's amazing that if you can get your mind around this, this is really the thing that can keep you from all worry. You know, Jesus tells us in the Sermon on the Mount, don't worry. And we're all like, yeah, right. Don't be anxious about tomorrow. All of these things that a lot of people experience these days, especially with the world circumstances. These are the things that are, you might say, helped or delivered because of joy. And in this book, it tells us exactly how to experience that. So I'm excited about that, this book. That's amazing. So Paul, Paul start, launches in, in Philippians chapter 1, beginning in verse 12, reminding us that it's not circumstantial, that because of our circumstances, that doesn't bring us joy. In fact, he says in Philippians 1, 12, as he's writing the letter to the Philippians, now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me, that is his imprisonment in Rome, what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. In other words, he said, you want to imprison me? Bring it on. That's not going to rob my joy. In fact, that's going to increase my joy because that gives me a, so to speak, captive audience. And that is whoever I'm chained to, whoever's guarding me, whoever's around me, they're going to hear about Christ. Exactly. It's his new mission field that he probably wouldn't have the opportunity in which to serve unless he was imprisoned. So one of the things I love about this is uh, I had cancer, and uh, of course, everybody was saying, oh, you poor thing, this is so horrible. And of course, you know, the treatments and everything are horrible. But because I had cancer, I ended up in places I would have never been before, and I had the opportunity to share the gospel with the person who was doing my bone scan, with the nurses who were taking my stem cells, with the people who were giving me my chemotherapy with my surgeon who uh, really was a, an unbeliever and, um, you know, just, in fact, a hater of God. And yet God showed him miraculous healing because of the prayers of the people and because God is just good. And so it's very exciting. And uh, what's really great about this book is that later on, Paul says, you know, the way you have joy in all these circumstances, it's not that you're not sorrowful. In fact, in 2 Corinthians 6.10, it says, Paul says, I might be sorrowful because this is, life is hard sometimes, but I'm still rejoicing. I think that's fantastic. So 
Paul in Philippians talks about how we move our minds from fear into focusing on um, our thoughts on the things of Christ. So this is what it says. Rejoice in the Lord always again, I say rejoice. Boy, did we sing that in youth group a lot. Let your reasonableness or your, uh, your thoughts be known to everyone, your, your logic be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything. And here it is. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, and that word there is yuchara, which is, um, means extreme joy, extreme grace, extreme thanksgiving, from which we get the word Eucharist. Let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ. Therefore, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. This is a passage I use a lot when I'm struggling in relationships, um, when I'm struggling with um, trials in the church, uh, things that are going hard in my home, all the like. I start thinking, you know, Lord, what do you want me to focus on? What, what's true about this situation? What's honorable about this situation? Is there anything lovely? Is there anything that is worthy of praise? And we can actually shift our thinking from anxiety into praise and joy. So that, that passage from Philippians 4 is kind of echoed in 2 Corinthians 10, 5, I think, that says take, we take every thought captive, make it obedient to Christ. Uh, Martha, what's like the, the practical way to take every thought captive or to think on things that are noble and lovely and pure and, and just and, and all those like how do we focus our minds on the the ways of God the, the grace of Christ how do we how do we do that in a practical way when our minds are bombarded with the worries the troubles the anxieties the the everything else that surrounds us in life you, you got any wisdom for the some practical steps for to retrain your your mind? Well, I think, first of all, you have to recognize the pattern of your thoughts to begin mm. with. You, yeah. have to be, you have to be aware of what's going on in your life and your thoughts. I think a lot of people don't have enough rest in their lives to actually reflect on how am I, how am I thinking? How am I um, moving forward? Uh, what, what am I doing you know, there's that old saying that if you keep doing the same things that you're doing and expect something to change, you're a fool. And I think that this is true. It really takes maturity. This is, this is something where I would encourage the church, the believer, to find somebody to hold you accountable. You know, I love people who say, you know, Martha, I've noticed in you that you have this pattern that is really not helpful. Um, Perhaps I can come alongside you. We can think of things that will help you grow uh, to break this bad habit. And really, it is a habit. Um, I think that we have habits in our lives and our thinking that we need to change. 
That's that's really brilliant. I, I love that to retrain our brain. Yes. To think differently. And when we have these natural thoughts that rise up because of, of what's happening in our circumstances around us, maybe we've caused them, maybe someone else has or whatever, that we choose what we're going to think about. In fact, I have this thing for myself that if I start feeling shameful, if I start feeling angry, if I start feeling fearful, as soon as I start feeling those things, that's like a flag to me to stop and really put these verses into practice. Uh, it's God's gift to us. It's God's grace to us. Once again, that hara word. It is uh, a way of living that allows us to not go deeper and deeper into sorrow. How's your experience of being a cancer survivor influenced that in your life? This is a couple decades ago, right? 25? I don't know how. Remember how, yeah, how many years ago? Long time. Like how coming through that and facing what you faced and continue to, to, to walk within your life. How's that framed you in this way? If at all, I, I don't even know the answer to it, even though I know you really well. Well, I think, first of all, I think I'm just naturally a joyful person. And I know that some personality types are that way. And so in, in some ways, God gave me a leg up on this. But I also think that when you have experienced deep, deep, deep sorrow, and as it says in First Peter 2 that we mentioned earlier, you learn to entrust yourself to Christ. It says in Philippians, you know, he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. I think that a lot of times we quote these things, but we don't grab on to these beautiful promises that we have in Christ. You know, we have this beautiful hymn in Philippians 2 mm. that is probably one of the oldest creeds of the church, where we see Christ being taking on humiliation. He has the glories of heaven. He has everything that anybody could ever want. And yet he humbles himself on behalf of others, on behalf of those he loves. He submits himself to God's will because he loves God. He trusts God. He knows that God will hold him fast. And so he's even willing to go to the cross because he knows that in the hands of God, he is perfectly safe and that God will deliver him. It's very interesting because uh, Jesus celebrated Passover right before he went to the cross. And after Passover is celebrated, the Israelites sing hymns that are in the book of Psalms. Uh, the hymns are Psalm 113 to 118. So I want you to think about this. The last hymn that Jesus sang before he went to the cross, before he was on trial, before he was whipped and scourged and, and had the crown of thorns on his head and and bore the sin of the earth and was nailed. I mean, all that horror, passion of Christ, abandoned, uh, misunderstood, mocked, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. The last hymn he sings is Psalm 118. In the middle of Psalm 118, the words are this. Get it. This is the day the Lord has made. Hmm. I will rejoice and be glad in it. Imagine 
that is the chorus that he is singing as he is being betrayed, as he is being denied. And why can he say that? Why can he say that? That is verse 24, by the way, of Psalm 118. The psalm starts with, let Israel say, his steadfast love endures forever. Let the house of Aaron say, his steadfast love endures forever. Let those who fear the Lord say, his steadfast love endures forever. The reason we can have joy is because of the character of God. God's steadfast love endures forever. And then it goes on to say, out of my distress, I called on the Lord and the Lord answered me and set me free. The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can anyone do to me? Mm. Paul brings this up in saying that, you know, if I live, I'm living for Christ. If I die, I'm dying to Christ. And so it's all good. It's all good. When I am secure in the Lord, it's all good. Later on in Psalm 118, verse 8, it goes on to say, It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in anyone else. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes or the powers. And then it actually tells us how to do that. It talks about how we're surrounded by horrible situations. It says, all nations surrounded me. Now get this, in the name of the Lord, I cut them off. You know, if we can cut off those bad, anxious thoughts, those worries, uh, and instead put our trust in God. It says, they surrounded me on every side. In the name of the Lord, I cut them off. They surrounded me like bees. They went out like fire among thorns. In the name of the Lord, I cut them off. I was pushed hard so that I was falling, but the Lord helped me because the Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. Psalm 118 then is a, an important psalm for Jesus right before he's crucified, you're saying, and it, and it gave him this inner strength to be able to say, what is before me is not greater than what is within me. And I, I may, maybe, Paul, maybe Paul's referencing that in some way or just the, the whole theology of it in some way back in Philippians and back in Philippians chapter 4 in verse 12, Philippians 4.12 when he said, I know what it is to be in need and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. Well-fed or hungry, whether living, in plenty or in want, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. And that and the, I can do all things is not I can be a success guaranteed, is I can be content. I, I, I can rely upon God whether I'm well-fed, whether I'm hungry, whether I'm in need, whether I have plenty. And, and Paul had plenty of times when he was, I mean, he, he runs the list many times in the, in the epistles when he talks about all the abuse that he, he went through. And this content was not based upon his circumstances around him. Was it, it, was, it was something deeper, something inside that he had, he had the Holy Spirit and, and the grace of Christ living and dwelling in him that gave him this contentment. I think that you're, you're talking about, right? Exactly. Well, I think that Paul met Jesus on the road to Damascus. You know, it was, it was a profound life-changing experience for him. He himself had been very elevated. He was, 
you know, well-schooled, came from a rich family, uh, impressive to all his teachers, et cetera, et cetera. And he says, you know, when I think about Christ in comparison to all like the best circumstances of this world, he says, I count it as, well, my scripture says rubbish, but the real word there is manure. I count it all as, you know, excrement in order that I might gain Christ and be found in him. This is in chapter three. Uh, we have this, this whole thing that Paul is going through. And it comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness of God, that depends on faith, that I might know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings and become like him in his death, that by all means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. He's, he's really calling us to imitate Christ, to become mature in Christ, to realize our citizenship is in heaven, and we wait for our Savior, Jesus Christ, who will transform our lower body uh, to make us into glorious bodies by his power that enables him to even subject all things to himself. That's chapter 3 of Philippians in summary. You know, we talked earlier about this whole idea of redirecting our thoughts. It's not just saying, you know, what's good in this circumstance? What's nice about that person, even though right now I really don't like them? Really, the things that are true, lovely, commendable, excellent, praiseworthy, that we're to think about are the works of God, the mighty acts of God. And if in our circumstances we can recount all the good things that God has not only done for us, but God's people throughout the ages. This is why it's so important to really be immersed in Scripture, to have a relationship with Jesus Christ in prayer, to practice your spiritual disciplines daily, so that your mind is, as Paul says, transformed. We're not conformed to this world, but our minds are transformed by the reading and hearing of his word. Um, we become a different people. We become uh, fed on a different kind of food. And once we have this kind of diet, this joy becomes a reality in us. That is so well. So, you know, you did not disappoint <laughs> in bringing you in here today. I, I wish we had two hours. We could dive into this, but we can. Individuals, we can, we can spend some deep time in the book of Philippians and other passages and really learn these concepts that Martha you are talking about. Would you be willing to to close this time off in prayer? I, I would imagine, Martha, that there are people listening to us. Some of them are on the mountaintop. Some of them are in the valley. Some of them are on the plains where it's like the same old, same old today and yesterday and tomorrow. And, and um, would you just be willing to, to take us out of here with a prayer that leans into what you're talking about today? I'd love that. Yeah. Let's pray together. Most gracious God, our Heavenly Father, it is beyond our understanding, your will for us, your sovereignty, the mystery of 
how you are taking everything that's going on in the world that we just see with um, sort of veiled eyes, but you see completely and clearly. You know the heart of each and every person that is listening. You know their circumstances. You know their disappointments, their sufferings, their sorrows. You know the things for which they are striving, things for which they dream. You know that some have received diagnoses. They have great disappointments in um, their relationships. All these things, Lord, these are things that uh, boggle and crowd our minds. Um, they, they keep us from seeing you clearly. There is an old hymn. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of the earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Lord, like Peter, there are times when we are strong and we can walk on the water with you because we have our eyes focused on you. But when we start to look at the waves and the winds that are around us, we start to sink. And we say, oh, Jesus, hold us, grab us, save us, Lord. And so, Lord, for every single person out there that is struggling with their anxiety, their worry, their anger, their fears, their shame, Lord, may they turn their eyes on you and grab hold as you are even more grabbing hold of them. You've said in your word, Lord, that those whom the Lord, the Father, has given you, none can snatch them from your hand. May they live into this beautiful, glorious thought that you who began a good work in them will be faithful to complete it. And just allow them, Lord, to take their lives and literally, visually, set themselves in your hands, the right hand of your son that is strong, that can hold them fast no matter what happens. And Lord, I pray that you would pour out this wonderful fruit of joy upon your people so that the church might be glorious a witness wherever they are, that no matter where they are, that each believer and every church might say, oh, I'm so excited today that I get to share the gospel of Christ. And maybe one more, one more will come. You've said in your word, Lord, that the harvesters are joyful because they see the fruit of their labor. Lord, may we become these kind of people who rejoice in the great harvest, the great fruitfulness of your kingdom. I pray this for the glory of Jesus Christ, our Lord, and through the Holy Spirit, Lord, may this be your will. Amen.